Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast. Sam Ferris here. And on today's episode, we talk all things KFC BBL with Adelaide Strikers coach and former Australia fast bowler, Jason Gillespie. But before we hear from Jason Dizzy Gillespie, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Scoop for everything on the women's game. Hosts M. Colin and Laura Jolly interview the biggest names in women's cricket and cover off all the key talking points. So be sure to subscribe to The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, the strikers finished fifth in the regular season before being eliminated by the Brisbane Heat in the Eliminator. We started our chat with Jason Gillespie by asking him for his takeaways from BBL 10. From the strikers' point of view, um, you know, there's probably disappointment, to be perfectly honest. I think a lot of missed opportunities for us. I think, we, we to be fair, we, we didn't fire, um, you know, as well as we would have liked. Probably just didn't quite that find that right formula with the bat and, and to be able to put those consistent scores on the board. Uh, thought our bowlers, you know, probably, you know, kept us kept us in games um, for a fair chunk of it. But, uh, but it's certainly something that we, we've reflected on and, and need to be better um, going into next tournament, BBL 11, is just being able to really finish off those batting in efforts, those batting innings and, and putting those really good scores on the board. Um, you know, because we, we back ourselves more often than not to defend, you know, whatever target we, we set the opposition if we bat first. Um, you know, so so hopefully, you know, going forward, we can we can find that right formula and uh, and put those schools on the board. Who are, who are some of the standout performers for the strikers this season? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Alex Carey, Jake Weatherall, both got in excess of four hundred runs. So, um, you know, another tick for those guys. Um, Jake Weatherall, I was really impressed with Jake uh, in the fact that. Um, you know, we moved him down to the middle order. It wasn't, didn't quite hit his straps early in the tournament. We just thought it would just free him up a little bit and try a, a different role for him to, to break the shackles, so to speak. And and the way he took to that role, I thought was fantastic. And, um, you know, the plan was always, has always been to have Jake at the top of the order, but we just thought it would just free him up. And, uh, you know, it was something that we weren't quite firing with, was finishing off our innings innings is uh, at that point in the tournament. So we just thought we'd, we'd give him a crack at that. Uh, and he did it really well. And and what's exciting about that, um, you know, looking back through the, on the tournament, you know, that uh, Jake Weatherall in particular is that, that he's shown um, the Australian selectors that he's got adaptability and flexibility with his game. There's been a lot of talk about the Australian team T20 side being selected based on picking six batters that all bat in the top three uh, for their franchises. Um, and Jake, you know, certainly one of the a player who wants to show that he's, you know, good enough to be considered for selection for Australia. And, 
And I think the exciting thing, and you know, the Australian selectors should really take note of this, is that you know he's gone and played for his franchise in the middle order and performed very strongly. Um, and then he's gone back up to the top of the order and performed very strongly. So he's shown genuine capabilities to be flexible and adaptable to whatever role he's been given. So, and that's something that I think the Australian T20 side is crying out for, if I'm perfectly honest. It must be tough to want to put one of your better players in the middle order because you, I'd imagine you want to give them as many balls as possible in a T20 game. Yeah, certainly. And that's the the challenge, isn't it? And I know we've had, obviously, with um, Alex Carey in recent seasons, you know, what we've tried to do uh, as a as a franchise is, is marry up the needs of our team with the um, the opportunities for players to push their case for Australian selection. Um, you know, you, you don't always get that balance right and kind of probably gone around in, in a circ- full circle now and you know, because we want to, we obviously want to be successful and do well, and and players want to play. And as you said, players want to face as many many balls as they can to put themselves up for selection. Because um, you know, realistically, that the history has shown that the Australian T Twenty side is not getting um, selected on by really specific roles. So we're not seeing guys who bat five and six uh, and play a really specific role. Uh, in their for their franchise get selected for Australia. Um, the team's basically being picked the from uh, you know guys who are scoring a lot of runs. Um, but the problem is that they're scoring all their runs in the top three or four. So that, that's something I think moving forward. I think Australia, from a selection point of view, can be better at. Yeah, Marcus Toynis is a good example of that. When you've got Steve Smith, Aaron Finch and Dave Warner probably in the top three, mm. Stoinis had a lot of success opening the batting for the Stars. Where do you fit him in? It's a very good point. Uh, outside the strikers, who are some of the other players that have impressed you? I think there's been uh, been a number of players. And, and look, we, we've seen overseas players have, have important roles to play. Um, saw Ben McDermott down at Hobart um, do really well. Um, with the bat in hand, he had a, he had a couple of 90s um, and looked very threatening. Um, Jai Richardson took a lot of wickets um, for the Perth Scorchers. Uh, we've seen young Tanvir Sanger come in and, and really do well. A young, young cricketer um, perform well. We saw Daniel Sams um, play well for the Sydney Thunder with both bat and ball. Um, I think what it highlights is that, uh, you know, we've got a, a really strong um, strong tournament and we've got some wonderful players in our country um, you know and I think that's really exciting and um, you know we should celebrate that uh, rather than focus on all the things you know wrong um, you know let, let's celebrate the fact that we've got you know a lot of wonderful cricketers in our country and and just let them have the opportunity to go out and shine. What did you make of the standard of the competition this tournament? Oh, I, I, I think it's very good I've got no problem with that I think it's a it's a great tournament. It's well run. I, I think this season, you know, it's been it's thrown up. You know, the BBL need to take a lot of credit for uh, for everything that's gone on. Um, you know, during the pandemic and the, the adaptability and flexibility. Um, you know, not just administrators, but also players and support staffs. You know, a lot of the time we, we want everything to be perfect so we can have our perfect preparation and and that. But I think what this has shown is that. You know, players are able to perform uh, when conditions, situations, facilities aren't quite right. And I actually think it's going to be 
a really good thing going forward for players, coaches, administrators, everyone in Australian cricket. You know, we, we can play this game and players can perform when you know everything outside is not quite ideal. Um, having to move at last minute to a different location, um, having facilities change at the last minute. Um, players have shown they can still go out there. I think that can only uh, only help players with their mindset um, of being able to go out there and perform their skills. Um, they know they can do it, and you know it doesn't nothing it, or everything behind the scenes doesn't have to be absolutely perfect for them to be able to go out and implement the skills. As a coach, how did you manage the players inside the, the village or the bubbles uh, in the in the ups and downs that they would go through? Yeah, look, it was, and everyone's different, I suppose, and, and that's what you have to appreciate. Um, I think some players embraced the bubble and really enjoyed the bubble, and then other guys, you know, at times may have struggled. But I can only speak from the Adelaide Strikers' point of view. I, I can't be prouder of our players and our support staff, uh, the way um, we embraced it. Yeah, there, there were times when lads were getting a little bit bit tired of it, a little bit frustrated, and that's natural, um, absolutely. But overall, uh, you know, I couldn't be prouder of the way everyone went about it. We cracked on. I mean, we were, we were in the in the hub, the bubble, uh, a lot earlier than than anyone else. Because um, if you remember, there was a there was a COVID yeah. cluster in Adelaide in in early November. So um, we had to hightail it. You know, all the SA based uh, big bash players. Uh, had to hightail it out of Adelaide and we, we ended up in Coffs Harbour for a few weeks. So, um, you know, we also, other than the strikers players, we also had Nick Winter from the Hobart Hurricanes. We had Alex Ross and uh, Callum Ferguson from the Sydney Thunder. So we were all together for a couple of weeks in Coffs Harbour, just training and, um, you know, and hanging out and, and stuff. And, and look, Coffs Harbour, you know, we, we stayed at a motel uh, on the Pacific Highway there near the, near the centre of town. And I genuinely can't speak highly enough of, uh, I think it was the Zebra Zebra Motel, uh, <laughs> Western. Um, can't speak highly enough of them. They looked after us wonderfully well um, at short notice. Um, and look, we were we were close to town. We really three or four k's from from the beach, and um, the training facilities were world class uh, at Coffs Harbour. So just want to thank everyone uh, up there, the Coffs Harbour Council, and and. Uh, the Zebra Motel uh, staff there, um, we were looked after wonderfully well. Um, you know, in a in a you know in a different situation that we found ourselves in. Callum Ferguson from another team with the squad. Did you instruct the bowlers to not bowl any in his half? Uh, no, it was all. It was actually pretty good. We had some because obviously with all the new uh, rules that were were brought in, um, we had some uh, a couple of set wicket uh, training sessions, some nets and. And we just had good cricket discussions. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, we're, we're all thrown in together um, at very short notice. And, you know, we're all, we're all involved in cricket. We all love cricket. So the training sessions were fine. The, you know, the boys, uh, you know, the lads that were strikers players got a little bit of ribbing. You know, they were wearing <laughs> the Sydney Thunder kit. And, uh, um, you know, we, we were giving a bit of lighthearted ribbing, but but it was all good. We, we, all, we all trained well and wanted to make sure that everyone had the best possible uh, practice for the time we are in Coffs Harbour. So it was a lot of fun. We, we really enjoyed that that time. Um, and uh, But, yeah, it seems a long time ago, Sam, that. Diz, you've seen all the teams up close this season. The Challenger pits the Heat versus the Scorchers in Canberra with the winner to face the Sixers at the SOG in the final. Only three teams left. Who are you backing to take out the title? 
Yeah, it's hard to go past the Sydney Sixers. I think they've been a, a fantastic team for, for a number of years now, really. Um, you know, I think they're, they're very well led. Um, you know, Greg Shippard's running a great ship there and, and they deserve to be favourites. Um, you know, obviously, I think Perth, you know, after a, a, a slow start to the tournament, I think they've shown what a, what a great cricket team they are and, um, and they've, they've played some wonderful cricket. Um, but Brisbane Heat, they're uh, they scraped in. Um, you know, everyone was writing them off, and um, you know, I think they've got the attitude. We've got nothing to lose, and and I think that they're, they're just as we've seen, they're coming good at the right time. It's uh, it's quite difficult for me to say this, Sam, because we uh, we lost to them in the Eliminator, and you know, in a game that we, we felt we matched up very well to them. But you know, obviously, we just didn't perform well enough um, in, in that game, and and didn't deserve to win that game. So. Um, Brisbane, obviously, having beaten Arsenal and beating Sydney, and they're in Canberra again playing Perth. Um, you know, Perth will be disappointed they're not able to play um, at Perth Stadium. Um, so, you know, look, the way I look at it, the Brisbane Heat have got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, Perth Scorchers, I think, um, have played well enough to deserve an opportunity to go in the final uh, against Sydney. Um, but it's going to be, it's hard to pick this one, uh, Brisbane Heat versus Perth Scorchers. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one to call. Um, you know, Brisbane do have, you know, a bit of a lead in with, with some wins there. Um, so, so they'll feel pretty confident. Uh, but look, I, I still think the, the Sydney Sixers are, are probably the team to beat. How hard is it to time your run in a T20 competition? Because we've seen the Heat, they stumbled really early in the in the season, as did the Scorchers, but they've come home with a wet sail. How challenging is it to time your run in a, in a tournament that goes only 14 or 15 games? I think it's just about making sure that you, uh, you're you as best prepared as you, you can possibly be, uh, given whatever situation you find yourselves in, and, and just trusting your game. And, and it, it, it is as simple as that, I, th- I think, if you... You trust yourselves. You you trust in what you what you're doing out there, and then just going out and playing, and, and have that that clear mind, that clarity of thought, um, and and we can see that the um, Brisbane Heat uh, they've just they've just gone out there and playing. You know, young um, Sam Hazlitt's just been brought in. He's probably been in and out of the Brisbane Heat side, and, and he's just gone out there and played his shots, and um, you know expressed himself and and played a match winning knock. Um, so, so that's what you want. And I think in an ideal, you want all your players, as a coach, you want all your players to have that that real clarity of thought and just going out there and just express themselves, whether they've got the bat in their hand or with, whether, whether they're at the top of their mark ready to run in and bowl. And, um, you know, I think teams of, you know, for us, and I, I look back on our season uh, with a strike as we, um, you know, we had some missed opportunities, um, you know, in the, in the call through the course of the season, I think we threatened on a number of occasions to to really uh, stamp our authority on the tournament, and but we just couldn't couldn't quite take it that next level. And so that's something we'll 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 look back on, reflect on, and and look to rectify next year. But look, um, you know, geez, I'm already talking about next season <laughs> as we finish, but. Um, but that's what BBL does. It, it's an exciting, you know, fun tournament, and, and everyone's so invested in it. Um, yeah, but it's but yeah, these, this finals, uh, yeah, the finals are heating up, aren't they? Is that the difference between the, the sides that are left and those that have been eliminated? The, the teams that have, have taken their chances, or the three remaining teams, have they done something better than the other teams to get to where they are? Um, I, I think what we've seen in this tournament is that 
every team can beat every other team on any given night. Um, but it does come down to that consistency at the end of the day. Um, consistency of performance with the bat in hand and, and putting up competitive scores on a regular basis. And then obviously you're bowling to your plans and, and implementing those. And, you know, you mentioned take chances. I mean, we, we had a game, our eliminator, we were defending 130. And, you know, had we taken our chances, you know, we, we missed a few opportunities uh, in the field. Had we taken our chances, we could very well have defended 130. So, um, you know, it's a good point. You, you might uh, taking your chances is is absolutely vital, and uh, you know, I think that that's you know that's what good teams do, and uh, that, that's what you need to do to to go deep in the tournaments. Yeah, the competition underwent some changes this season. Uh, three international players being being one of them. It's going to be in play next summer. Would you like to see it continue? Yeah, I don't mind the uh, three international players. Um, the, the only thought I'd have with that is you got to make sure that there's um, just with the future tours program and, and uh, you know international teams playing around the same time as BBL. You got to make sure that there's um, there's a, the strength in in depth and players available, player availability. Um, you know what we have seen um, in the BBL over the years is um, teams having to replace players constantly through um, international commitments. And, you know, for me, that it's not ideal, but we understand that we, we play in, in a tournament that goes from, you know, mid-December to, to early Feb. You know, it's hard to secure players for that full tournament, but we just have to deal with that. But, yeah, I don't, don't mind. I quite like having the, the third overseas is, is a great resource to have, I suppose. Yeah, and you must have been... Disappointed, but also happy for Rashid Khan because uh, one of your best players, but then playing for his country comes first and he had to go. Yeah, no, no dramas. And we, we knew that. We uh, we knew that, that was a real possibility. Um, and I think through this whole pandemic, um, things do change. But that was always in the back of our mind that that was likely to happen around that time. So we'd already planned for that and, and understood that that could happen. Um, you know, Rashid's, you know, like to think he's part of the furniture here at the Adelaide Strikers. He's, you know, fantastic uh, uh, ambassador for the game. He loves playing for the Adelaide Strikers. We love having him. Our, our supporters, who we feel are the best supporters in the country, uh, absolutely adore Rashid Khan. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be delighted to uh, welcome him back for, for many years to come. And there's some new rules as well. There's the, uh, the bash boost. Yep. What did you think of that one? Yeah, the bash boost point is that the point that's awarded to the team that's ahead of the game um, at the halfway mark. Um, look, I think it's an interesting um, concept. Uh, I think if it is to be implemented uh, in the future, I'd like to um, see a bit of a restructuring in terms of the points allocated. I, I think being awarded 25% points, 25% of the points on offer for leading a game at the halfway point, I think um, I don't think that's particularly fair on the team that actually wins a game of cricket yeah. um, so I'd like to see that uh, if it's not removed altogether um, I'd like to see maybe a redistribution of that so maybe the bash boost is worth maybe one fifth or one sixth of, of the win so for instance if there's five points on offer for a win, you know, um, four to the victor and one for the bash boost. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not, I'm yet to be convinced that 
rewarding a team for winning at the halfway point um, is the way forward. Mm. How about the power surge, that two extra overs of power play overs uh, that can be used after the 10 over mark? Yeah, I, I like the power surge. I, I think it what it has highlighted is um, if you bowl well, you can you can get rewards. And if you don't bowl well, you can absolutely get <laughs> So I think it challenges bowlers to be even better at implementing their skills. I think we've seen some slightly different tactics used by various bowlers who've bowled in the power surges. Um, you know, and it, it does challenge batsmen. So if you, you know, if the bowlers do the incentives there for bowlers, if you do get a wicket and then, and the field is all in, you can, you can actually uh, put some uh, dot balls together and, and not go for too many runs. So it actually work in the favor of the bowling side. So I think tactically there's some, some really good stuff there. Um, but if you've got two established batsmen, we've seen that um, teams can, can really capitalize and give their, uh, give their innings a real kick, uh, especially if you, are, you feel you're just a little bit behind uh, behind the eight ball. But um, but yeah, look, uh, I, the the uh, power surge, I, I think, is overall it's uh, it's probably got a tick from most people. For the strikers, did you guys go in with a, a mindset, or like a predetermined mindset, when you're going to use it each game, or did you leave it up to the batters? Because that's kind of the big the big talk about when teams use it. Do you go early with two set batters, or do you save it to the end? What was the strikers' strategy? Our strategy was if we've got two set batters and we feel we're ready, that we'll take it. Um, there were there were a few occasions there, which was was interesting. We were all set to take it, and then we lose a wicket. And then we just have to reassess and go, okay, well, right, when's the best opportunity to take it now? So um, that happened a couple of occasions. So where the plan was to take it quite early with two set batters, we ended up taking it a lot later. And and I suppose that's where the discussion comes in. And, you know, that's, I suppose it's something else for the commentators to talk about as well. And, um, you know, that's something for us to think about as a team because um, I, I found it interesting, though, the the – the laws or the rules in the in the game are saying that once the umpires have reached their set positions, um, so at square leg or um, at the bowler's end, um, you can't take it. So there was one time we tried to take it, um, and but the umpires have said, no, nah, we're in our position now, so you can't take it, which I'm not sure is the right way to go because it doesn't, is what that does do is it doesn't allow the batsman to confer and have a conversation for 10 seconds. Okay, what's our thoughts here? Do we think we should take it now? And I, I just feel that was a bit pedantic. That's my personal opinion. Mm. The final one was the X factor player. You can uh, swap a player after 10 overs. Uh, how did you go about that one? And, and what was it like when you had to tell a player, sorry, your night's done? Yeah, look, it's an issue. Look, at the start of the tournament, we had no real plan to utilise the X factor unless there was an illness, an injury, um, or whatnot. And then, then we ended up using it twice in the first two games. Um, we subbed out Danny Briggs a couple of times. And, and that was more because uh, we were bowling first and we were playing down in Hobart early tournament, Hobart and Launceston, on surfaces that were assisting the seam bowlers. So we were getting some swing and some seam movement and and we just felt that the second spinner um, wasn't going to get the overs in. Um, so that was our thinking behind that in those first two games. But then as the wickets became, the, the weather got better and uh, the wickets became um, less conducive to, to seam bowling and, and potentially swing bowling, um, you know, we, we didn't feel that, that we needed to use it. But 
Um, but look, again, interesting concept. Um, I personally, if, if I was uh, asked for feedback on it, I'd be suggesting that I think if you're going to have an X factor, you should be able to bring them in at any stage in the game, not just at the 10 over end of 10 overs in the first innings. So I think that just potentially does favour one side over the other. So I think you just have an X factor player. Uh, this is my personal opinion, Sam. Yeah. You have an X factor player, you can insert them into the game at any stage of the game you want. You can bring them in for the last over of the second innings if you want to bowl or to bat or whatever. Um, it's your choice. It's your X factor. It's your choice. I, I think being dictated when you can use it kind of dilutes the, the purpose of it. That'd be exciting, bringing in a bowler to bowl the final over of the match. Right. Yeah. So, look, I, I, as I said, I just think it dilutes that you, you're limited in the, when you can use that player. So, for me, I, I think if you're going to have an X-factor, allow the teams to use their X-factor as they see fit, not as dictated by administrators. Mm-hmm. And the other one that uh, isn't a rule, but everyone's been talking about it, is the DRS. Would you like to see some form of DRS in the BBL? I think there's been a lot of commentary on it and I, I think a, a lot of people are pushing for it um, because they feel that the standard of decision-making hasn't quite been there. Um, so, look, I, I think if, if the technology's there and um, we can afford it, because let's face it, it's a, it's a massive cost and I appreciate that, I get that, um, you know, but I, I've always, my, my default position has always been, look, just to trust the umpires you know, I think the umpires cop a bad rap sometimes. They they make a lot more good decisions than they don't. Um, you know, and I think everyone's got to remember that. But everyone seems to remember the odd really bad one. And and I think that's what DRS is there for, is to eliminate those absolute howlers. I've, but my only issue with DRS, and I've always had this problem is um, with it, is that it's used by, play, by teams as... Uh, a tactical tool. You know, I don't. I don't believe that DRS should be in the hands of players at all. It, it purely should be left to the umpires and the third umpire to manage and sort. I, I don't like this. I, I never have liked this idea of players being able to challenge the umpire's decision um, because we teach our players and teach our kids from a very young age to respect the umpire's decision in all situations. And I think seeing players go and um, challenge it just contradicts that whole notion. Um, so what I'd like to see with DRS in general is it to be in, absolutely, but it's purely left to the umpires and the third umpire, um, you know, can have a really important role in our game, um, a more important role than they've already got. You know, we've got third umpire sitting there, we've got a match referee, we've got a fourth umpire. Let's put these guys to work and... Uh, get them doing that rather than leaving it to the players. Let's leave the players to actually play the game and let's leave the decision-making, the umpiring to the very capable umpires that are on the field and sitting there off the field with the monitors in front of them. And that's the other thing. It, it takes time. You want T20 cricket to be nice and fast. I feel like they, they seem to go over time a fair bit now as it is. More breaks in play, uh, the longer the game's going to go. One thing, and this is a, a, a discussion point definitely, you know, players, teams are getting criticised for running over time. But I can tell you now, there have been so many occasions, we've talked about it in the dugouts, we've talked about it with other teams, that we are, teams are waiting, bowlers are waiting to bowl, batters are waiting to bat, but we're waiting for ad breaks to finish. 
from the broadcasters. So I think it's really harsh to blame players um, completely for the, the games going over time um, because they are. there have been so many occasions where we are waiting for the broadcasters, you know, or, or we're waiting for the ground the ground announcers to stop talking on the ground because they they've got music blaring at the at the ground which is great and we want the atmosphere but they've so I've lost count of the times we're waiting for the music to stop at the ground or we're waiting for the umpire to put his arm down because he's waiting for confirmation that ads are finished on TV so I think it's really harsh to put all the blame on players I think players are doing their best to get through their overs as quick as they can um, so I think I think that's a bit of responsibility, and you know, yes, players calling for gloves every over uh, that can be improved as well. How many times do you call for gloves when you scored that two hundred? Well, I only had two pegs, so I'd call for gloves because they're soaked, and then but my ones that are that are drying are still wet, so I just sucked it up and cracked on, mate. Well played. <laughs> Your summer's not over because uh, there's still the Marsh Shepherd Shield to play in and the Marsh One Day Cup. Um, how are you feeling heading into the back end of the season with the Redbacks? Yeah, look, optimistic, excited. Um, just really looking forward to hopefully playing some cricket. And I know, but look, we're, we're all sort of up in the air at the moment. And, you know, the, the schedule's been tweaked and changed by Cricket Australia uh, due to the the ongoing issues with the pandemic and, you know, look, I, I, you, you couldn't pay me enough to be in that role doing the, um, you know, trying to work out all those schedules. I, I think everyone at Cricket Australia and, uh, and all the state associations need a massive pat on the back because um, it is such an ever changing landscape. And uh, I take my hat off, to, I take my hat off to them. Um, look, it's been absolutely brilliant. Um, but, you know, I'm just so excited. Just, just we just want to play some cricket. Um, and get out there, play some Sheffield Shield cricket, some 50 over cricket, and we're just going to go out there and enjoy ourselves. Uh, genuinely, that'll be the message that the South Australian cricket team is going to be getting from the head coach is let's have some fun, let's enjoy ourselves, let's uh, let's look look to be the best we can be each and every day, let's prepare as well as we can, but let's go out and have some fun, let's play some cricket. It's, it's been a challenging time for everyone, let's just go and play and have a, have a good time. Good on you, Diz. Thanks for having a chat with us today and all the best for the rest of the summer with the Redbacks. And then BBL 11 with the Strikers. We're already talking about it. All the best, mate. Thank you. Good on you, sir. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Unplayable Podcast. We will be back next week to wrap up the BBL and look ahead to the tours of South Africa and New Zealand. Don't forget to subscribe to the Unplayable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. But until next week, for all your breaking news, live scores and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.